Like, so I listened to the first one, and I'm just trying to speak as clearly as possible. You have to understand that this is the first time I'm hearing myself talk, and I do sound a lot different from my perspective, at least. But we discuss we discussed a lot of things, a little, quite a big range of topics originally. Just and I, I assume you may have been more interested, if you were interested, if there is anyone listening, that in what I was talking about. So I can I'll continue on, I'm continuing on because there's something I want to convey to you as a as a brother of mine, as a sister of mine. You know, we are all together living entities, we share a fate because we are the earth we, in this at least in this perspective from this perspective we have this common identity and it com- we, for every identity we have there's another identity that makes that identity synthetic okay, so you could say I'm really who I am you know but I'm not really that I'm really Australia, but I'm not really Australia because Australia is just synthetic, authentically on the earth. But am I really the earth? No, authentically I'm the universe. And then where do we get? We get to somewhere where we can't go any further. Okay, so we get to, this is why these narratives exist. These narratives exist because when we take the synthetic and we want the authentic we end up reducing everything in directions okay now we can't say that the universe is the only conception of what we are authentically but we could say that the universe is a more authentic conception of who we are than the earth or the body that I am because we all know that this body is unified with syst- within systems within systems. This is a physical system. We, we are in control. We have autonomy of this system, living entity. And we have less autonomy as we go out into the systems of the universe which determine us. So we have this sense of our freedom and we have this proof of our lack of freedom, which is the universe. Okay? Now, really what we have to understand is what have humans thought all this time? What have they been waffling on about? What was Plato? What was Kant? What was Hegel? What were all these philosophers talking about? And what they were all talking about in various ways, and this is what physicists basically do, even though they don't realise it now, is that they, they move into the realm of reason. Okay? They, they deal with these narratives and they try to pull them apart and make order out of these narratives that occur. Now, there's narratives for the universe, and there's a, but the universe isn't the final question because we do have the laws that govern the universe. Now, all those laws aren't physical, yet we have this conception, oh, which came first, the laws? or the universe, and how could there be a universe without the laws? So we have this abstract. Now that is the knowledge. The universe we could call the known. Okay? 
Now, these are categories. They're different. Okay? But they represent a philosophical category and a scientific category. What scientists don't really understand is that they are categories. And as you apply your intelligence, you can go, you will go in directions to where you want to go. Now, if you're looking for an answer for the theory of everything or the universe, you will go cosmologically as an astronomer or a cosmologist might to that universe to find the question and you will get a certain number of answers. Or you might go as a physicist into the very small. So you're looking at the very big or the very small of that universe. And all your narratives, which include space, motion and inertia, are bound into that narrative because you're you're being what is called a good scientist. But there's other sorts of rationalists who are scientists. They're theoretical physicists who are using mathematics. Now, mathematics is not science. Mathematics is abstraction. Now, there's a reason, there's a way you justify your science and there's a way you justify your mathematics. And it's not the same way. Okay, because the mathematics is a prior conceptions, how we make sense of the world, whereas all the things of science equate to the senses, how the senses engage with the world. So there's a different, there's a line, and this is called the demarcation of science problem, that is a philosophical problem. There's a reason why we can define science, but we can't demarcate it. But to define is to say what something is, and to demarcate is to say what it isn't. It's because where does science end? What can't science explain? If science can't explain anything but the physical, and how could something not have a presence that was somehow physical? If, if there wasn't a physical presence, to even a subtle physical presence or a supernatural physical presence to anything, how could it be? Now, this is a gross subtle dichotomy that we have going on and science definitely deals with subtle as well as gross but yeah your Einstein or whomever ultimately was a, a mathematician doing thought experiments and so he was a seeker that wasn't looking empirically at the world he was a theoretical physicist with thought experiments and it was brilliant Okay, so he, he invented his thought experiments and then he devised his mathematics and he knew enough about physics and he could do enough mathematics so that he could actually build proof, make predictions, because knowledge is basically telling the future. Knowledge is all about predictions. So all, everything I'm doing here is all has to be predictions. It's a prediction. If I say something, it has to tell you the way that it is. When I say that this will go that way, it will go that way, because that is the prediction of knowledge. Otherwise, I'm bogus. Everything I say has to be sound enough. Now, the problem is with philosophy that they they don't manage to maintain a language. They don't really understand these things well enough to just keep talking without making grave errors because they themselves are lost 
in the field of language and they don't know what the actual how to build a reality upon that language and that they don't have to build a reality upon the physical world now the physical world works as an effect and then we have a law which is the cause and then we have other states of cause causal now cause and effect we could reduce to motion so that the philosopher is really just his his topics are cause and effect knowledge reality truth justification these are the, the, the fundamental principles he has to deal with a field that has various entities in it but but, but philosophers are writing theses okay they're, they're pursuing lines of reasoning to conclusions and those conclusions invariably are wondersses a one interpretation of the world a monad we could call that which is a a line of reasoning taking a premise and basically with that premise the premise delivers itself so a scientist has his premise his premise is that reality is physical he reasons that out and that delivers essentially the physical world is reality now the, the scientist doesn't reach a conclusion because he he's is resisting an obstacle okay now there's a there's progress in science and there's a lack of progress in science it's like climbing a tree and there's fruit on the branches and the branches are long and more and more dangerous as we go to reach those fruits so of course the, the easy fruit was picked and science now is struggling to pick that final fruit which it believes at the end of the branch is the, the theory of everything that they want to know about everything now, no one's going to be satisfied with that theory are they you're not going to be satisfied that you know everything that you understand your soul after that scientist delivers you the theory of everything that you kind of don't understand and now they won't be delivering that anytime soon because they're caught lost in a fundamental misunderstanding which needs to be resolved by demarcation of science essentially it's a justification problem that they they need to understand a field of knowledge which is what i'm explaining to you and they need to understand their role in it their impediment their obstacle that will effectively which is ignorance which will stop them from progressing now the philosopher has his own obstacle even the spiritualist has obstacles now it the these different ideas the spiritual the philosophical the scientific they play out in an objective and subjective dichotomy now the the difference between a philosopher and a scientist is geometry it's a geom a rational geometry because knowledge is effectively got to have a structure that the structure has to be rational it's about science not being philosophy that's what 
creates the territory in between two things. And the, the points, the extreme things that are the pure science, which is what those extreme rationalists, okay, because scientists are extremists. They're taking their premise and they're ignoring all other ideas. Okay, they, they can't incorporate spiritual ideas into their science because they're trying to have a pure reasoning power explanation with apparatus to explain things. And then you've got your mathematics that they have as well, which is applied logic that goes into explaining the world. And you ha- but more prior to that, you have your pure philosophy. Okay? And, but the really the pure philosophers are mostly just using within the world of language. Various few pure philosophers come through and they come up with little ideas and then we go, wow, wow, you can't change that, you can't prove him wrong. Well, I'm one of those, okay? So I'm coming from this position. This is a philosopher. <coughs> I know where I stand in that situation because I understand the things that I understand of. I don't have to be in a position where I'm going, oh, it could be or it couldn't be. I'm just explaining things to you the way really you can understand them. Otherwise, you won't be understanding things because you'll be lost in the same problems that the philosophy is lost in. And the whole human race has been struggling with these ideas. Now, in order to make progress, You can't, you can't count on the world. You have to be innovating. You're not reading the philosophers, okay? Because whatever you read or know, to some extent, is going to take what you already know. You, it'll take you. It'll lead you down a path. So you have to liberate yourself with your own ideas by being selective of what you include, and hopefully, see. I am one of those positive potentials because your mind is bombarded by these atomic propositions that keep coming and they they cause an effect. They either destroy the structure that you're trying to build that allows you to make predictions and makes you sensible or they help construct it. I'm trying to help you construct it. So I'm doing that, and I'm saying I'm a philosopher king because I'm, I, I know that if I continue on this path, I can change the world because I, I can change the world without having to have an army or be a politician or any of the things that you might imagine a philosopher king to be because a philosopher king doesn't need to do any of them. It's so purely ideological that those ideas happen to be so strong that they go into the world, they reach their listeners, the listeners go, oh, worth sharing, and then eventually those ideas go out and spread and change the world. Now that's freedom, essentially the philosophical freedom that I have, that I'm going to share with you, and then you're going to be free, you're going to share, you're going to go out into the world, you're going to know, you're going to listen to people talking and go, oh, I see where they're going wrong now. I, I understand why they think the way they think and what it is because these great ideas are held together by intellectuals. These intellectuals 
usually, the ones that appear prominent are the theologians and the scientists. And then we have these philosophers, and we don't really know where they fit in. Well, they fit in as neutral. Okay, so we have premise holders. The philosophers apparently neutral. Okay, but the premise, the the philosopher is bound to the laws of language and logic. He just hasn't identified them. The spiritualist is bound to the principle of the ideal. The scientist is bound to the principle of the physical. So for the spiritualist idea, deal reality is what he's trying to establish, but he's got an incredibly difficult job of doing that in a physical world. Now, that doesn't mean he's always going to have that problem because really for the spiritualist, it's like trying to explain daylight to people at night with no memory of the daytime, looking at the moon and saying, see see the way that's shining. That's because there's the sun and there's a daylight. And they're going, nah, I don't believe in that daylight. I think it's dark and that's just a moon of something. Now the moon is the metaphor here is the mind. Okay, the mind is the reflection of the soul in this physical world. And we get a marginal light from it. Of course, science dominates in the physical world because we are looking upon the physical. Okay, And really, what the intellectual is doing is pursuing cause and effect from the physical back to the cause through the priorities, and they end up philosophers because that is the direction. There's a movement of cause and effect from the law to the pathological, from the logical to the pathological. And we wonder what principles govern those. So we have a a what and a how and a why and a who. So our ethical is the who and the why. These nature ultimately is governed on ethics. We, we as scientists, can't understand that, of course, because we've eliminated that aspect with our prop premise. So the spiritualist is effectively trying to understand nature with the premise of idealism, which preserves the sentient being, the soul, which is I, and making sense of the world from his premise, which is all ethical. Oh, this is karma, this is da-da-da-da. This is why this works. Now, that doesn't necessarily equate to practical predictions, but it does make predictions, and it is a predictive facility, but we can add to that by using a philosophical narrative and basically explaining things in a very objective way so that we can explain and understand the science, we can understand the philosophy and we can understand the theology because explanatory power, that is the thing that we want 
that you w- would love or like because you ought to be able to go out in the world and go, oh, I get it, I get it, and I see this, and there is magic, and there is beauty, and this is a beautiful thing, and all these imperfections I see are just perfections. They're, not, they're perfectly faulty. They're a part of a relativity, a field that creates fault and perfection, but the fault in it is not authentic. It's perfectly faulty. It's, it seems faulty, but it isn't authentically faulty. It's just relative. It's a relative field, and, of course, it appears faulty. Now, fault is introduced, and so we see the world, and we see evil, and we see all these problems with disease and destruction and ugliness, and we wonder, well, the world isn't perfect. Well, the world isn't perfect. It's not meant to be perfect. It's faulty by design because we are on this ethical journey where we're experiencing the world and we're going, I have a value system. I cherish this and I don't value this. And we're caught in this quandary. Do I, by valuing this, I can't preserve that which I cherish. Now, the thing we cherish is not only ourselves, it's our beloveds, our children, our families, our friends, extending out to those identities that we, which we associate ourselves with. Those identities and our, our self-preservation that we have there, these are the things we cherish. We're caught in this situation where we we have to use knowledge, we have desires, and they relate to physical things, wealth, pleasure. Okay, and we we try to balance this cherishing this beloved and also these physical things that we need, we feel, to help cherish them, which is to have power in this world such as we can protect our children. And we we face this beginning, the sorrow of life that we we can't really, in the material sense, help anyone. How we help is in a spiritual sense. And that is what we really, even as a philosopher, but I am not, just a philosopher, because I'm a spiritualist. The spiritual sense we are, we have, we require a great faith and understanding, so that we can answer the questions of our, and we can bring, which brings into our life this auspiciousness. Auspiciousness is this. Compatibility with with a plan that for humans, which is the ultimate solution of all this soul journey, that we we taste in brief moments of happiness when we align with a perfect journey, 
And really all religion is, is trying to manifest that auspiciousness by working as closely as it can to the law of ethics, which is God's plan for man's eventual salvation. Not just as man either, but all the souls in the universe to come back to God. Now, when I say God, I know that God is a premise. Okay? But the thing that we have to realise is that so is the universe and so is the knowledge. Okay? And not only are they premises, they are things we have never thought of. Okay? We think we've thought of the universe, we think we've thought of God, we think we've thought of knowledge in a pure sense. But what we have is a relative idea of God because any singular idea that we might entertain is impossible for us to conceive of with our minds. So we don't think of those ideas, we, and that includes the universe. Now you'll see cosmologists having this problem, and that could be a Big Bang, or that could be a picture of the universe, which includes space. Okay, because they, you cannot conceive of one anything. Okay, and this is why, these are the obstacles, this is effectively the obstacle, this is why a, a philosopher can't make a, a thesis that sounds sensible, or a scientist who reduces everything to a physical and eliminates our soul because that singular substance, which he says is everything is a physical thing, is singular. And you can't think of a singular. You can't think of everything being a substance because you require the consciousness that isn't physical to think of the substance and you know that that consciousness will always be there. Even So it's a farce, okay? Thesis, antithesis. Essentially what we have is idealism, that goes to impossibility. We have a physicality that becomes unthinkable. We have an absurd philosopher, absurd philosophy. And I have to deal with the absurd. Okay, that's my big obstacle as a philosopher. If I don't deal with those obstacles, then I'll be my statements will become increasingly paradoxical until they become meaningless, and that is what really good philosophers should end up sounding like, which is your Cohen or your Taoist uh, sort of uh, principle, which is one hand clapping, etc. But we can think about it as a liar's paradox as well. You know, there are ways to invent logical categories or actually identify logical categories that are paradoxical, which actually, what you, you don't actually invent or, or identify logical categories. You, you identify the logical categories which are paradoxical and you let them effectively become all the rational categories all the way through. So have an on and an off, a map, and how you know about that on and that off is 
all their life. And at any point, when you're on the mat, um, that is getting confusing. So, where, where was I? Okay, so why do we want to why do we want to know? How does this relate to how we cherish our beloveds? Well, for a start, knowing is predicting the future, and we can we cannot expect to move through this world without some knowledge, and we as human beings, have a certain faith in authority. And we place that faith, that, place, that faith has become increasingly scientific. In our scientists, we place those faiths, but they aren't really the best people to trust for a variety of reasons. Because, for example, we don't know where physics is ultimately headed. We don't know if physics is actually a safe Occupation. It's been we we consider the physicists of today the heroes of the intellectual struggle, but we may consider them villains in the future because physical experimentation is dangerous. We don't really need to know about black holes. We don't need to make hadron colliders necessarily. Okay, now hopefully these things won't cause destruction, but with a system of knowledge, you, you should have some way of predicting what the future will hold, and my system of knowledge does predict that that is destruction. Okay, so what, it's not a small thing what I'm doing here, it's not a small consequence, because, and it's not a small responsibility if you have a listener, because we're trying to bend the curve of human descent into destruction by alerting it to its knowledge. Because all these fields of knowledge build up to a climax, which which is like a capstone. Now that capstone they call the theory of everything, but you cannot build a theory of everything. Because there isn't a understanding of the world that just that you can get to just as a scientist. You need to have an integrated, complete system, which scientists are a long way away because they first they've got to become philosophers and spiritualists. And so th these three types of people, prophets, the philosophers, and the physicists, are basically the the people who are most likely to perform these activities which are fulfilling this entire structure of knowledge. Now, the reason we have to get to that point is to avoid destruction because we have accepted the scientific paradigm. The scientific paradigm is falsifiable, experimental. Okay, now, don't think that science has not caused great destruction and is causing great destruction in the world, but we honour and we love science because we have been taken to this idea that science is just the way that we understand everything, but really our minds are the way we've understood everything. Knowledge is the way we've understood everything. All the laws of science are the known laws of the world. They, they do 
make a lot of sense. We think quantum physics doesn't make sense. Quantum physics makes perfect sense. It's rational. Because we have a rational relationship between space and matter. And we have a rational relationship between space and matter because we know that two opposite ideas eliminate each other rationally. You, you can't be spacious and material at the same time. They are opposing ideas. And so our laws of physics really are just a rational relationship. That, yeah, gravity is space being consumed by matter, but that's what our mind does with matter and space. So we can move this platform, de-platform science, and move it this way to the laws. That's what a philosopher really does. It, it, it has an existential challenge to science. He doesn't say, this is a great idea. He goes, you don't know. This is how you know. What you think you're looking at isn't what you're looking at. Okay? You're dreaming. Because all you're finding is space and names and you'll ever be on the quest for a thing that you think is there. And in the process you've eliminated what is justified by necessity. And that is the conscious experience of living entities. That's what's preserved. That's what God preserves. That's what's preserved after your death. Because you have to have a truth to this entire drama because the drama is a drama of reality. It can't just be false because it, it, it's, it's apparent. It's, it's appearing to you. Now, the nature of it, that is knowledge. Okay? The actual truth of it, that's reality. Okay? Knowledge then is our understanding of this field that we travel through in various marginal positions where we are in proximity to these great ideas and we experience it. And right now we are moving in proximity to these ideas from our birth to our death. We start, we understand a duality, we move through a passion, we attain a form, we face entropy and we die. And then the cycle continues into the ideal. Now that is what we call a supernatural. But it is, in fact, just the field of knowledge which is has opposition to it. And that causal ocean is a, a rational ocean that where what something cannot be what it's not. And the whole universe all the possible worlds, heaven and hell, are expressed by these grand dichotomies. Now, when scientists or anyone scoffs at these ideas, don't take that seriously, okay? Because this is how you're going to understand the world, and you're going to understand it more sensibly than anything that anyone with a scoffing attitude is ever going to give to you. Because a seeker of knowledge doesn't scoff at anything. A seeker of knowledge investigates. Seeker of knowledge discriminates. Seeker of knowledge attempts to understand it. Seeker of knowledge moves himself to that position. It doesn't sit from its position and go, hardy ha. It goes, oh, what, why do they think that? How do they think that? And it moves its premise, your premise, our premise. Now you have a premise. 
then what you have to do is take that premise, identify how else you may think about this universe, and adopt those premises as an ideologue who's moving open-mindedly from one perspective to another. Do not sit and go, oh, he believes in God, therefore that must be all true. No, that is, you're never going to get anywhere because you're being a fool. You have to be far more intelligent than a scoffer. Scoffer is someone who expects their, their standing conception to hold forever. And that is a hope of vanity because we know that the things we believed 20, 30 years ago changed dramatically in the last 20 years. They're changing more quickly. And the things you believe when you're younger change when you're older. All this is a dream in the sense that what you think you know now won't be what you think you know tomorrow. And what you must try to be is humble when it comes to the spiritual. Because the spiritual isn't your conception of it. Okay, it's how you're going to cherish. It's how you're going to cherish your beloved. Now, if that that is important to you, these are the things that are important to you. The things that aren't important to you are the things that scientists are actually studying. You do not give it. You do not care about hadrons, or you do not care about the expanding universe necessarily, because it isn't directly impressive to you. You can understand that by understanding your soul, but you can understand more things than that. You can also help to preserve that which you cherish. There's these forces are at play. Preservation, creation, destruction. Okay? Let's embrace preservation and become successful, because our successful life is one where we understand the ethical law. And we that is wisdom, effectively. We are working within this ethical law, and that ethical law, we, if we want to be smart, we can, understand, we can have knowledge. Yeah, sure, we can understand the whole universe. These things are written in scriptures all around the place. And if you look at science, yeah, look, they've got dimensions, haven't they? They've got dimensions, but they, where do they put those dimensions? Oh, they, they put them in the matter. They put them where they think something's real, but those dimensions, where are they really? They're in the heads of the physicists, okay? They're coming... There are dimensions. There are dimensions which are degrees of freedom, which beings can experience. A point is a degree of freedom from a... that is... we could call a black hole a point. And we have a three-dimensional experience. We have a four-dimensional experience, we think of time, but that's, that, that isn't the end of it, because all those dimensions represent, all those factors are increments. They come elegantly in sevens. And ultimately, that story is a picture of beauty, of the, all the possible worlds, and the Earth just happens to be at a place. It's like we're in the middle of the material world at the moment, and we move through 
the eons through the universe in a direction and with a motion. So the speed we move will affect our conception. The place we are depends on whether or not the universe is homogeneous. Now it's relatively homogeneous because it's it's a field, but it also has its opposition. So it isn't necessarily homogeneous, and it has its effects. So our direction, where we are moving north, south, east or west, they, that does create these great ages of man. Now that is another thing of geology. That's another picture of the world that we have to build into a conception that we can put in our head beautifully. Because we don't have beautiful, elegant conceptions which we, we can turn to we have this jumbled mess of words that are lost in semantics. So what a philosopher is really doing is elegantly organising these categories for you. Okay, but a spiritualist is doing more than that because the spiritualist is also giving granting you faith of in the in the earth and in the not the earth in the divine. Okay, because ultimately it's God's plan that we know. It's God's plan that we don't create a black hole and destroy everything that we know. And it's up to us as, as beings, intelligent beings, to avert the destructions of the future. And so, even though this seems like a big idea, and it's preposterously grand the way I'm talking about it, you might see that I, you know, like I'm not daunted by that, but I... I am daunted by the consequence that we have the work that it might necessarily need performed. Because a lot of religion comes into this. I had to understand this, and I had to understand it some way. The only way I really have been able to understand it is in a religious context, because I've always been religious. And then when I look to those scriptures, I could find and see that they explained what I'm actually understanding. They already knew. Okay? So this is a play. It's a play where God is continuing to intervene a little bit. And I'm, in some sense, I'm his servant. And I am his servant. But I'm a, I'm a servant you, you won't understand because I don't fit in the normal identity of a spiritualist because I've been held in the philosophical position for, for a long time, when I've been stewing away in this philosophical anxious position. As a man, and I'm, I'm here as a philosopher, even though I have spiritual justifications that this is the truth, the philosophical truth, I'm still a philosopher. And a philosopher is objective. And humans can use the objective knowledge of the philosopher. They, they can go, oh, you know, this is something you can really put your, get your teeth into. If I had pen and paper here, I would be showing you things that you could see. But I'm talking here now because I want to share this as a, as a talker because 